This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today, we are going to be reviewing Lower Decks, episode four from season two called Mugato Gumato. But before we get to that, we got some news, and the biggest news that hit this week was that we got a lot of Prodigy stuff, or rather, a, a handful of key Prodigy things. How about that? We knew a lot about the other characters. We had seen the ship. We'd seen a trailer. And now, finally, they've revealed the other side, which are the bad guys. So, first, they announced two actors who are going to be voicing the bad guys. And and this was a bit of a surprise, because there's some heavy hitters, right? Yeah. So, John, John Noble's the main bad guy, called the Diviner. Um, John Noble, any fan of Fringe will know John Noble because he was kind of the crazy scientist and uh, he was also in the Lord of the Rings movies. So I was very excited when I heard that. And I was excited about Jimmy Simpson, who's the other one, um, who plays his loyal robot henchman, Dreadnought. Um, but I love Jimmy Simpson. I mean, I, I, I he's big from Westworld, which I watched some of and then I stopped watching. But every single thing I ever see him in, he's just fantastic and intense. He's an intense performer. Dreadnought is a robot, but not one of the robots we saw in the trailer. Uh, they just released images, and he's a different kind of robot, a more humanoid robot, but, you know, evil looking, of course. Of course. He's described as a deadly robotic enforcer. So, yeah. I mean, for a kid's show, your villains need to be definitely more clear cut um, <laughs> than other maybe, you know, more subtle we learned the name of the asteroid, if that matters. It's called a Tars Lamora, which is the asteroid where everything... So that's kind of where everything starts on this show, where the kids all are and where the ship is that they find. And he's keeping them all captive, the Diviner. They released an image of the Diviner, but it's this wide shot of this yeah. tiny little figure in a huge vat of liquid. So there's something weird going on with him where he hangs out in vats of liquid, I guess. Sure. So he's still a little bit of a mystery, I guess. Yeah, but we know what we do know is that he will be pursuing the protostar. So the ship we know is very important. We don't know why and apparently this is a major plot point of the show. Well, I mean, which is weird because <laughs> you'd think the big reason why he's going after the kids is because one of the kids is his daughter or his creation. I think they've used both terms. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, both issues, but, uh, it seems like he's really interested in the ship. Although in the trailer, the ship just seems crashed. So maybe he was not even aware it was on his little planetoid, you know, or his asteroid. Um, and once he realizes it was, and what that ship can do, he wants it. It's an interesting looking ship. I'll say like, so I remembered you had brought up uh, the Prometheus from Voyager and I went back and had a look. Um, and there is, there's definitely a similar kind of look, kind of vibe, but that ship had a lot of very unique properties um, that I had just forgotten about because I'm not always such a ship's kind of gal. But, um, you know, it could split into three and become a squadron it had special shields so i'm guessing that this is some kind of very fancy ship speaking of the ship the other big news besides 
learning about the bad guys on the show came this week during a Television Critics Association event. They released the opening main title sequence for the show. You know, that was pretty interesting. What, what did you think of the main title sequence? I loved it. So I had kind of a crappy day today, and I found that to make myself feel better, I would watch it again, and I would play the music as loud as I could get it. So I think Michael Giacchino did the the music for the title sequence, although he, someone else is scoring the show. Um, her name's Nami Malamud. We've talked about her before. The music is gorgeous, and I loved the secret. I thought it was absolutely beautiful and evocative and moody and uplifting and exciting and they did just the right touch of the you know original track at the very very end but um it it moved me no i I agree it's beautiful it's it's a lot like the voyager main title sequence um not the music but the kind of flow of it uh, the difference here is that the ship it's the ship flying through space but you slowly realize that it's actually flying through representations of each of the characters um although that might be a little too subtle for kids to figure out because it's very subtle until right. the end when it it's kind of obvious that it's Janeway at the end in a way because everyone likes it right everyone who's seen this says the music music is great it's beautiful my concern is is it going to work for kids? Because it's almost, there's something about the show that worries me a little bit, which is, is it going to be too serious? Because this looks like a good standard main title sequence for a standard Star Trek television show, right? For a one hour drama show, but it's for a, you know, an animated kids show. Well, there was a lot more zooming around. I mean, on the traditional Trek shows, it's like slow, here's the ship. Here's the station. Here's another angle. This was like, shoom, 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 shoom. I'm looking forward to the show. Everything is beautiful. I'm just hoping that there's fun. And obviously Jason Matsukis is in the cast. So, you know, but is is it just going to be like lots of serious stuff? And then every once in a while he cracks a joke. Oh, I don't think so. Because of some, we have playful characters and, you know, my favorite rock thing i for now i forget what it's called <laughs> rock, it's rock talk it's a rock little talk. girl character. yeah so i think we're gonna get a lot from that and from the relationships i also think that that kids i mean because it's not very young kids that they're looking at and kids are pretty sophisticated these days and are watching a lot of sophisticated shows when i think about kids because i have i mean my kids are older now but i certainly remember the stuff that they watched I feel like that's uh, having a having a an intelligent show like that for kids is great is only a positive. But you know, when you look at some of the other stuff that's on Nickelodeon for example, which is what this is literally, this still feels a little different, a little more serious. Oh, it totally doesn't feel like Nickelodeon to me. Um and I wasn't a Nickelodeon kid. I grew up in Canada, no Nickelodeon. And then when I got here and saw it, it was already t- I was like Ew, why would I have liked that? Sorry, everybody in the America. Um, Nickelodeon was never my thing. So, I yeah, it is a, definitely a weird match for that network. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's going to be on Paramount Plus before Nickelodeon, but it was, it was built to be on Nickelodeon. That was more a corporate decision after the merger. Um, the Nickelodeon branding is still on it. Their logo is still above the Star Trek logo, in fact. So... 
you know, I, I, I'm hoping it works with that audience because that's kind of the goal. Um, anyway, but it still looks great. Um, there was also a panel discussion. A few details came out of that. Um, one of the things was caught me as an odd comment from the showrunners was the bad guys, the Diviner and Dreadnought have a, quote, Kirk and Spock-like relationship, which I thought was an interesting but odd comment. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, there's so many aspects of that relationship that are interesting, and I don't know which one they were referring to. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I guess they're you know they're really close, or maybe they maybe uh, they balance each other out a lot. Um, that I don't know if it. it's that because I was thinking more of everyone. You know, whenever they're in disguise, whatever, and Spock calls him Captain by accident, everybody goes or Admiral or whatever. They're always like, I can hear it even when you don't say it. So I'm thinking maybe it's more along those lines. Okay, that's an interesting take. We learned a couple more facts about the show, so it definitely starts in the Delta Quadrant, but the the sh- the ship and the kids head towards the Alpha Quadrant, which sounds familiar, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, so they really are. I mean, they're just going for it. It's like, well, Janeway's on a ship, and they're heading home. I guess. Right. Well, except it's not their home. Well, it is for some of them. I mean, we still aren't exactly sure why there's a Tellarite and there's a Precarian who are both Alpha Quadrant species so, and a Medusan, right? So oh, right. Half, yeah. ha- half the kids are from home. But, you know, the, the showrunners talk about how there's kind of a big mystery. So I guess this is going to be, you know, and, and talking about the villains and, and their regular characters, I guess this is going to be a highly serialized show. That, I think, is unusual in a show for kids, but intriguing. Was there anything else from the panel that caught your attention? Yeah, there was something where they s- described, they said that the Diviner was inspired by Ricardo Montalban's Khan, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. And they said that his body is failing him so i guess that's why he's floating and stuff um and he created his progeny to one day carry on his mission interesting layered stuff there you know again that gets to why he may want gwyn back is you know is gwyn just a potential vessel is this a kind of a palpatine situation here um to the episode nine we're crossing the streams here, but uh, is he looking for someone to, you know, pour his mind into? And that is that all Gwyn is to him? Maybe. I mean, that's been done on Star Trek, too. Dr. Ira Graves. <laughs> they did confirm that legacy characters are going to appear on the show, which we knew because... Robert Beltran. Well, yeah, we know about one in spe- specific... And that they're going to be, I think they mentioned that they're going to be running into Voyager characters. So I have never wanted to see Neelix more. I would love cartoon Neelix. And, uh, you know, and others from the Delta Quadrant. Although let's, let's skip the Kazon. Yes, we should skip. uh, We could, we could make a list of ones we'd like to skip and ones we'd like to see. Now for all of our other Star Trek shows, Discovery and Strange New World, etc. There's no news this week. Um, they're all done with production. They haven't announced that production's done on season two uh, of Picard, but it is. Um, and we're expecting news from all of these people next week at Star Trek Day. 
So in the next podcast, that'll be Star Trek Days on the 8th. So our next podcast will be on the 10th. And I'll have gone to the event. And so we'll have all the news. And that'll all be on the site next week. So starting on the 8th, start looking for trailers and news coming out of Star Trek Day. Yeah, premiere dates. I really want premiere dates. And I really want to see some strange new worlds. There's some news about the future of streaming of the what tend to be called the legacy Star Trek shows. Um, and this is a USA only thing for now. For years, all the Star Trek shows have been on the three major outlets, which is Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. So all five live action shows are on all of those every episode. And this started 10 years ago on Netflix, actually. Um, so Star Trek was one of the early big licensed shows when Netflix started breaking into streaming in a big way. But this month, at the end of this month, three Star Trek shows are leaving Netflix, which is the original series Voyager and Enterprise. And there's two possibilities here. One is it's like they're renegotiating the license and, you know, that by the time this happens, they'll be back or maybe it'll be a short window. But I think the more likely thing is this is kind of the beginning of the end of Viacom CBS licensing Star Trek and other Viacom CBS properties to third-party streaming services. It makes sense from a business perspective that that's what they would do. Well, yeah, I mean, the CEO has said, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. He didn't say it about Star Trek, but he said, because you know, if you look, there's some weird things out there. They're, you know, South Park is on HBO Max and Yellowstone is on Peacock. So, you know, they want to bring everything back to the Paramount Plus. And it makes sense for them to do that with Star Trek so that eventually they could say Paramount Plus is the exclusive home of Star Trek, just like other companies have done. You have to go to Peacock to watch The Office. You have to go to HBO Max to watch Friends. It's a smart move from a business perspective and a branding perspective. So, But obviously, this process is not going to be quick. They have deals that they've made that they have to deal with. We don't know the details of how long the other shows are going to be on other platforms. But it does. I think you're right that this is definitely a, a, the beginning of something. Right. Now, it'll take longer internationally because Paramount Plus doesn't exist. So, for example, you know, it's been confirmed that this is not impacting Netflix in the UK and other countries, at least for now. But, you know, Paramount Plus is coming to the UK and Europe next year. It's already in Latin America. So it's the beginning of the end there. I mean, I think, yeah, it's it's a smart business move, but there is a, a downside to this, which is Netflix is so ubiquitous. and a lot of fans have discovered these Star Trek shows. I think especially DS9 and Voyager even um, through these streaming services, just because, you know, that they're just, they just subscribe to Netflix and it gets recommended and they watch it. And net, you know, a lot of shows on Netflix get discovered on Netflix, even though they're, they were elsewhere. I mean, Shit's Creek, you know, has won a ton of Emmys and, it's got all this buzz, but it, it existed was, for yeah. years. Yeah, you know? it was it was because of Netflix that people noticed it. And there are a lot of shows like that, I agree. I mean, obviously, the Star Trek shows were higher profile um, anyway. True enough, true enough. But you, when you watch and I, uh, the DS9 documentary, and I've talked to the 
you know, a lot of the actors, they all agree that people are rediscovering their shows in the last few years. So the actors are, have noticed in the last 10 years that younger fans are coming up to them. People are discovering these shows again through Netflix and other streaming services. So, you know, on one hand, it's a smart idea, but it may not, you know, there is a downside to this, obviously. Yeah, it feels to me like a, I mean, I agree with you, but I think if you do all the math, it still makes more sense for them to keep it. Now, uh, Viacom CBS has another streaming service, their free streaming service called Pluto, which is ad supported. There is a dedicated Star Trek channel. What I'd like to see is for them to, that's not video on demand. uh, It's just like a linear channel. uh, But uh, I'd like, right now they just have a handful of Next Generation episodes, I think, and some movies eventually for them to get everything in there. Um, and maybe multiple Star Trek channels. And so there is a way for people to discover Star Trek um, through this, you know, free but ad-supported service. Right. For the people who are like, you know, the the old I don't want to pay for it crowd, um, for sure, would use that. And I think and I believe they have plans for Discovery to keep turning up on Pluto also. You know, after it's run and whatever, but they'll, it's not, it won't premiere there, but it will definitely be available there for that exact reason you're talking about, which is, you know, the discovery of discovery. Let's round up a few. Um, I mean, it's been a while since Star Trek Las Vegas, a 55 year mission, but we're still going through all of our content and uh, our hangovers are long gone. We're now back to writing stories about some of the stuff we saw. One of which we put up in the last week was an update on the Voyager documentary um, we also had the video they showed in Vegas. They let us show that as well, which is kind of this sneak peek of what they've been doing over the last few months. And uh, they didn't break a lot of news. But one thing I did like is they, even though they're doing a lot of these interviews, which gives you that talking heads thing, they are talking about looking through the archives, trying to find old footage. So Garrett Wong has home footage, but he said he was at the panel. He said other people have some home footage. When I watch a documentary about something that happened in the 90s, I want to see footage from the 90s. Yeah, same. Um, Hopefully they can up-res this stuff um, so it looks reasonable. I'd still rather see that than just fans talking or other Star Trek celebrities who weren't there talking about it. You know, so I'm still very excited about the doc. I just want them to make sure to keep it focused. And one thing I liked from the panel is they started talking about why Voyager is important. And they talked a lot about the diversity of the show and something that is true, but I, I find it still find it hard to believe. But like Garrett Moon was the only main cast member on, on a television show at that time who was Asian American. I know that is crazy. I didn't realize that either. Until they said it. And then I was like, oh my God, that is terrible. So I think they're going to lean into the diversity, which makes sense. They're going to lean into the uh, strong women, not just the captain. Dave Zappone said, yes, the captain was a strong woman, but there was a lot of strong women in the cast. And I think that those are going to be, and I I like that to say, this is how this show was different in the 90s. Um, And just like DS9 was different for its reasons in the 90s. That's a story I could get behind. Yeah, same. 
Obviously. I mean, I'm a big fan of that show, and that was a big part of it for me. You know, there's a handful of other Vegas things. Go on the site and check out. We have one from the Enterprise panel. They talk about how they didn't like the series finale, just like everyone didn't like the series finale. I missed the actual panel, um, so I just read the write-up. But um, they were talking about the Mirror Universe episodes, which I hate those Mirror Universe episodes on Enterprise. I think they're awful. Um, and Connor Trenier said he didn't like them either. And he felt that he was like being hammy on purpose and that the director didn't really get it and really liked the way he was doing it. And my whole issue with that was I think the mirror universe is supposed to sort of reflect who you are. And because the whole thing just took place in there, it was just more of like a celebration of badassness. So I appreciated that. That's what he said. Because I agree, and it's a rare opinion. I don't hear most people are like, I love those episodes. So that made me feel good to read that. Because I- although he was on his own, Billingsley, um, and Anthony Montgomery and Dominic Keating, you know, all liked those episodes and wanted to do more of them. Although John Billingsley, his main thing is, if there was ever more flocks, he just wanted flocks to end up having sex on the show. Sure. He repeated that multiple times. During yes, the panel. he did. I think like five or six times. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. He definitely had that um, going. Uh, so it's it's worth. I mean, one thing I noted: if you know Anthony Montgomery, he's a very quiet guy. He's a thoughtful guy. He's a spiritual guy. And when talking about the finale, he's like, "All due respect to you know Jonathan Frakes and Marina, lovely people," but he said Scott Bakula was my captain. You know, and I, that was it was the way he said it was like it was like he felt insulted. Yeah, how well, I, I mean, it, it was kind of insulting. And everything I've ever heard or read about Scott Bakula, especially on that show, but on every show he's on is like he's a great guy. He's a great leader. And he really right. shows people the ropes and sort of the right way to be. And he's very decent and he works really hard. So it's not, you know, logical and lovely that he has that kind of respect. Now, you wrote up a great uh, breakdown of uh, Jerry Taylor, who's the co-creator of Voyager, but also worked on Next Generation, and she participated in a couple panels. You know, what what was the your, your biggest takeaway from seeing Jerry, except that it was great to see her because she never does this kind of thing? I know. I was so excited. Um, there were, I mean, I thought she got into some details about Jean-Vivre Bujold, who was uh, Captain Janeway before Kate Mulgrew. Everybody knows that story, I think. But just in terms of the choice she felt that Jean-Vivre chose to play that character, she said her assumption was that she thought that the rest of the crew knew their stuff and didn't really need a commanding person. And and Jerry knew that the audience watching that would be like, there's no way that could ever be a Starfleet captain. So, I mean, we all know the story of like they wanted to get rid of her and then she wanted to leave. But I thought this sort of it was a more interesting nuance to trying to understand her choice as an actress. I still find it fascinating that she got that far into the process. Me and too. Was it just that she was famous and good looking and they just really weren't paying attention and how she didn't fit the script and didn't fit the character until they started shooting. Cause it just seems so obvious. I think it was obvious to them the minute they started shooting, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, Oh, this is not a captain, but how you could not notice that that person wasn't a captain before. Yeah, it is. There's something strange about it. I would love to dig into that more and find out how on earth she was cast. The most fascinating thing 
I found in that was actually we're talking about Next Generation. She's talking about Chain of Command. She was the showrunner at the time on Next Generation. And obviously Patrick Stewart, you know, thought that was a really important episode, which it is. And he found out she was going to be doing a rewrite, which is commonplace. And in a rather unusual move, he called her and said, please don't do that. Very unusual. She said no one. He'd never done that before, ever. Yeah, and 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 any actor doing that, even the show star, it just would be weird to call the show, especially the way Trek was structured back yeah. then. The showrunners were gods, you know. She spelled out in that panel that actors did not come and change things, and that is the way she likes it. Interesting. Although in the end, he agreed with all of her changes, but I think I think what he was afraid of is that she was going to take all the sting out of it, all the bite to it, because it was a very challenging episode as an actor. And it was really kind of cutting edge, all the torture stuff. And he probably rightfully thought, oh, they're going to water this down. And she didn't. No, and he called her afterwards to say that he loved it and she was right. Such a cool dude. Anyway, it's worth checking out the way she talks about Brandon and Rick is good, how they kind of didn't need her to write the show for women. But she, you know... I think she was being overly modest because then she kind of basically said Janeway is me and I am Janeway. So, right. so I, I think they did need her in a big way. Um, I think but, the point she was trying to make was that they were ready for a female captain and they wanted it and they were behind it. I think that's yeah. the point she was really trying to make was there was no resistance. Nobody was fighting the idea. It wasn't her idea. It was someone else's idea. They brought her in afterwards after the idea had been decided upon um and that they knew what they were doing and that she kept calling them enlightened men uh, yeah but i think that show wouldn't have worked without her janeway oh, wouldn't have worked without her. i could not agree more a hundred percent of course they needed her <laughs> um so you know just check out the site for all the vegas stuff we probably have a couple more vegas articles to go through oh we check out up- the costume competition post because the costumes were fantastic now, speaking of conventions, believe it or not, there's a the creation is another one coming um, next week. So if you're in the New Jersey area, next week there is a convention in Edison, New Jersey, with a lot of the big Star Trek stars. Interestingly here, though, there's going to be some people who didn't make it to Vegas, notably Sonequa Martin-Green. There's going to be a big discovery panel there. Um, you may want to check it out. It's called the Sci-Fi Summit. So there's some non-Star Trek people there, too. Yeah, The Flash, other shows. I'm very bummed that I'm busy because otherwise I would go. It looks like a lot of fun. There's a tiny bit of tangential, possibly, movie news about... We know that there's a movie coming in 2023, June 2023, from Paramount Pictures, Star Trek movie. They've got a director, they've got writers. um, But Paramount, because of COVID, have just reshuffled their schedule again. And we only learned about this movie in April when they did their last COVID restructuring of their schedule where they keep on moving movies further away, like the Top Gun movie and the next Mission Impossible movie. So in theory, because they've basically moved every movie, like the Top Gun movie is moving from Thanksgiving to Memorial Day, you know, so they're moving movies many months in, in advance. They didn't get into 2023, but there could be a ripple effect where this could impact the uh, Star Trek movie, but we don't know yet. No, I guess we'll find out. 
but we won't know for quite some time. If this movie is really going to start shooting in the spring, yes, they've got a director and writers, but eventually they're going to have to start casting people and hiring other people. So a lot of this stuff will be coming out in the trades by the end of this year. So if that doesn't happen, we'll know that they are not going to make their June date. Right. You know, we've been spending so much time talking about other things, and I have a feeling I know why, and it's because both of us are a little... We're a little sad because we like to say, we loved it, it was so great, and I don't feel like I can say that this week. I mean, I have a... So at a high level, I have a kind... I have a two-track mind on Mugatu Gumatu, and that Gumato. is... It's Mugato Gumato. Well, part of the joke, obviously, in the episode is no one pronounces Mugato the same way, which is a nice in-joke for Star Trek, obviously. Well, specifically, Shax pronounces it, says it like five different ways in about two minutes. Whereas <laughs> right. Boimler gets it right every single time. Yeah. I think the doctor has a different pronunciation. I think everyone, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a free-for-all on how to pronounce the name. I did like... The character stories. And when looking at this as purely from a story point of view, I like what we learned about Mariner. I like the character development for both Mariner and Boimler and their their whole storyline as well and the growing trust there. I like the Tendi growing to have more agency, right, and getting more assertive. And we learn more about the Doctor even. So all of, you know, the stories are great and even the setups are great, but all the humor, not all the humor, but a lot of the humor really fell flat for me. And in some ways I felt was just where they were just taking the low road. Yeah. So I, so I totally agree about the humor. I thought it was mostly, oh, there's big thunder outside my house right now. I thought the humor was mostly, it was like cheap, the obvious choices like like very uncreative in a lot of ways and just meant to be like funny because it's gross which is it has to be funny because it's funny gross is funny if it's funny but i also in terms of the main stories i didn't really like the whole we think mariners a spy story i didn't think that was good and 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 because of that story, everybody had to act like they had her acting super weird and not really as much like her as she normally does. Like beating the crap out of them at Ambo Jitsu, it was it was quite brutal. Well, see, the, 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 it gets to amount of degrees. Like I, I kind of I didn't have a problem with that, except how far they took it. That's what um, I mean. Like he's lying on the ground and she's still whacking him. Something about that didn't feel in character. I mean, it, it does bring up a, a kind of meta issue about Star Trek in a way of if you live in a future where you could, um, I think you, Mariner joked in the last say, oh, the, you know, the doctor could just wave a light on you and you'll be fine. So if you live in a world where that's true, right, where broken bones aren't an issue, really, especially when you're on a starship. Well, they still hurt when they happen. Yeah, fair enough. But getting teeth broken and and bones broken etc it changes your point of view on taking risks and danger i thought that was you know i'm not sure they were making a comment on that but i kind of thought about that when i was watching it because shax is there a senior officer and he's watching these people brutally beat each other up he doesn't care because like well you know the, you know i'm sure in his mind is like sure you know the doctor could fix them up who cares 
Well, I think he thought they were all into it because he's like, you, oh, you still got 10 minutes. But no, I just thought it was like, it was, it was uncharacteristically callous in terms of the level of violence. I mean, there were a lot of people killed in this episode um, and they've done it in ways that, I mean, we've had like lots of people killed in previous episodes, but something about this one was like, it was, it was played for humor a lot when it wasn't fun. Again, do it in a funny way. And I will laugh. I like dark things. I like funny, edgy things, but it just, it just wasn't that, it just wasn't very funny. There were moments, there were little moments and lines of dialogue that made me laugh, but, but the main stuff just didn't work for me. I agree with you. I, I have no problem with lowbrow humor. Yeah. I like I like Rick and Morty. I like I love Futurama. I think Futurama's well, the first batch, you know, before it was cancelled and then brought back. But it was very, very funny and and just ridiculous sometimes. Yeah. Bender is a fantastic character, but he's not exactly, you know, he he's as lowbrow as you get. And so there's nothing wrong with that. It, but uh, there's a couple things. One is it just didn't fit well with Star Trek. And the other is they weren't doing it well. Yeah. Right. So you can do lowbrow humor if you just are better at it. There's a big difference between vomiting up rainbows and just vomiting. <laughs> that, to use yeah, their that... own show as an example. Like rainbow vomit made me laugh. Just bleh. Wasn't like ha ha vomit. What's interesting is the writer for this episode actually wrote crisis point, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, although it was over the top as well, but it had a framing device where it all worked. No, that's a great example. It's a great example of saying it's not that those things are always going to be bad, but you have to put a spin on them. Like my favorite example of this is let's take Otis, the bartender guy. Right. Who's the one who ends up getting them all nervous that Mariner's, you know, some black ops operative. If you want to make him sound like that very traditional old Western yarn spinning bartender guy, it's a sci fi show. So don't make him look like that. Keep the voice, keep the personality. But it's a sci fi show. And instead, they were just like, let's make him look like that guy that everybody will recognize that look and that type. So, again, it was like the cheapest, easiest choices. And that's what I wanted them to do. And I feel like many, many times there were choices that could have made it more interesting. And they just went for the, you know, I, th- I feel like it opens and ransom set like my ex, blah, 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 complaining about his ex. And I was like, eh, that set the tone for me in a bad way. Yeah. It's just kind of like a Henny Youngman joke, you know, it just seemed almost from another era. Yeah. It didn't fit the show and the tone. When Lower Decks was announced and everyone was like, oh, this is going to be Rick and Morty. There were all these concerns about the show. If this were the pilot episode, it would have changed everything because everyone would have gone, oh, shit, this is what the show is. Exactly. You know? But we now trust them. So we know in a way this is kind of an anomaly. Yeah, I assume it's just a misstep. And there were things within it that showed that they still have the heart, which is to me primarily... Boimler and Rutherford and the way that they solve the problem. Yeah, they're, that's what I'm saying. I like the story. I like their arc. I like how it exposes more about Mariner. You know, little things like the Patengi character. I thought he was a fun character. I'm not sure who did the voice, but, you know, the Australian thing was obviously very Crocodile Hunter thing. I did like his thing about the five books. <laughs> He's like... But, but when he got killed... 
it was too gross. It just didn't, it was like, I don't know. You know, this is the thing where everything was fine except for one tiny thing where they just took it too far. Like Shaq's eating the poop. Over and over again and over showing and him again. Do it. And Why is he doing it? I was like, again, oh, because eating poop is funny. Ha ha ha. Like, again, it just didn't, it didn't work. And there could have been a hundred different things they could have done that would have been funnier than that. Now, so for their little adventure on the planet where they're looking to save a Mugatu, the, the, the whole point of the mission was to find a Mugatu on this planet and take him to another planet, I guess, where they're... I like that they, you keep saying it wrong, too. It's Mugato. I like saying Mugato. I know. But they said Mugato in the in, in the original series. No, it's they said Mugato. Mugato. They said Mugato and Mugato. You say Mugato. Um, right. And it was also because DeForest Kelly was, it was supposed to be something else. Gumato, maybe initially, and DeForest Kelly just kept messing it up. So they were like, okay, let's stick with this one. I think there's really no way to mispronounce the name. The point being, it was a, you know, it was an interesting setup. And then when they find the Ferengi on the planet who were hunting them down and how they had to stop them, it's kind of a good environmental message and all that, that kind of stuff. But as you're, you're, you're getting into, we, you know, where we slowly, we start with Boimler and and Rutherford playing this presented as lame game of diplomacy, this board game, and how they're because diplomacy is such an important part of Star Trek. And in the end, the you know shoot first Shacks and Mariner are the ones imprisoned by the um, Ferengi, and it takes Boimler and Rutherford to diplomacy them out of the situation. So it's yeah. a good Star Trek message, and there was a. I like the little Easter egg when they show up and they've got the, um, the bamboo tube right out of arena. Yes. <laughs> but they're using it for their presentation. Right. So somehow they've got a, a light projector built into it. I don't know how they did that. That was um, great. That I definitely really liked. <laughs> now, what did you think of the line? It was a very specific line that was, was when Mariner goes, Oh, you guys are the, are, um, those last outpost kind of Ferengi. <laughs> because of their whips? <laughs> well, the whips, I love the, the hunch, whips. The hunch, the hunching over and the whip. But was that too meta? Like, why would she, this is kind of like Boimler humming the tune of Voyager and saying voy. It's another example, because why would she use the phrase last outpost? It's, you know, because that's an episode title. I know. But I mean, it's, she, she's it's, done that before, I guess. That's, I was fine with it. I laughed at it. But later I'm like, does that make any sense? But not everything needs to make sense. No, and it's the same as Boimler saying, like saying, isn't that neat and inconsistent? Because of all the different ways that you can say Mugato. <laughs> right. Like they talk about it directly in there. How did Boimler, Ensign's Boimler and Rutherford, have the authority to negotiate a treaty? Because this is a Federation planet. Yeah, I don't. That's also a pretty classic Star Trek thing, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's just forget that. So, and they were out of contact with their ship. So, you know, I would say that that's that works for me. There were just moments to me that felt like Futurama ripoffs. Honestly. That's when it would start to bother me the most. Like the whole thing about the horn, because there was a whole Futurama thing about Fry and his horn. Yeah. I mean, we, we haven't talked, I guess we've, we've skirted around the issue, but let's talk about it. So, you know, as they're running away, you know, from the escaped Mugato, <laughs> what's the plural Mugato's? Yes. 
And they end up hiding in a log, and then two of the Megatos end up having sex on the log, and then a third watches and starts... Masturbating. I, I can't even say it. Masturbating. Masturbating <laughs> Megato. And it's just... And, and in a way, everything I just said probably could have been done in a subtle way, but it was so over the top, the way they showed it and the way they showed him jerking off his own horn. I'm like, it just seemed like, I can't believe this is happening. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was, it was crude and not funny. Again, if it had been funny, then the crude would have been fine. You know, are we being, here's the thing. Like, are we being sticks in the mud? Are we going to, you know, cause we don't know what fan reaction or fans just going to be rolling in the aisles and, you know, people are going to think all of this is hilarious and we're just being sticks in the mud. I can't tell, but I, it just didn't work for me. I honestly just didn't think it was funny. That's the bottom line. So let's talk a little bit about the Tendi story. Um, again, she's trying to get in the good graces of Dr. Tana, who starts off the episode not really respecting her. Same as last episode, actually. I liked this because Tana kind of finally got the doctor to give her some respect. That was really the whole arc of this episode for her. I like, I did enjoy Dr. Tana just being super cat like (laughs) racing around the ship. (laughs) See, that's dumb and I like it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I agree. I mean, there's even a point which is totally ridiculous, which is Tendi. An ensign yells at the doctor, bad Dr. Tana. <laughs> As Dr. Because Dr. Tana is being super catty hiding under a shuttle. So, yeah, that was dumb, but it works. So who knows why something works and doesn't. I mean, that's the thing with humor. It either works or it doesn't. But I was laughing with that kind of stuff. By the way, did Tandy break her bone on purpose? Getting to my earlier point. I, about- I think so, yes. I like the little montage of her scanning all the other people who were trying to avoid their scans. And she was, there was some fun little moments in that as well. I thought they could have done more with that. Actually, I could have used more of this storyline and less of the planet storyline. Yep. I agree. There was also a little bit of a sea story with the captain and uh, Mr. Hyde, who was the guy who was trying to buy the horns of the Mugato. The Paul F. Um, Tompkins guy. I, I, I love Paul F. Tompkins. He was very funny. Although he should change up the voice a little bit, maybe. Well, you know what? It it was, it, again, I hate to keep bringing up Futurama, but he was very Calculon-like, especially when he dropped to his knees. My ship! Like, it was very Calculon. Because he was faking, because he was a scammer. Yes. Uh, so the captain kind of got scammed, but then she got her back. She's still dealing with her whole... You know, I've got no respect. She's kind of the Rodney Dangerfield of Starfleet. Because <laughs> she says that this they've yet another animal control. So apparently this is not the first time they've had to go hunt down some animals on some strange planet. Um, so even though she was the big deal with the pack lids last year, she's feeling a little under-respected in Starfleet. Yep. Um, but I, I like that little, you know, it's a little little storyline. She got her her own back. Um, she is lying to her husband slash admiral slash commanding officer about things. Um, but uh, you could understand why, I guess. Yeah. No, that part was fine. Honestly, it was the stuff on the planet and it was the silliness of the, not even silliness. It just, I didn't enjoy the 
now they don't trust Mariner thing. But the, you know what? The reason I didn't enjoy it was because she was acting like a crazy person and not like herself. But again, this was in a way trying to change course for her because she's she hides herself from people. So they're saying she's so closed off that people could believe crazy things about her. She kind of cops to that in a way. No, that all was fine. It was the way she was acting. And that has been a through line all season. Her This is her therapy year of, you know, discovering herself and becoming more honest with her friends because the whole thing was they were, they never understood why someone as cool as her could be friends with them. So I really liked how that arc ended when um, she turns to Shax and says, those two beautiful nerdy men are negotiating us to safety while they're stuck in a jail cell. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. So she wasn't in, she never was in the brig in this episode, but she was still incarcerated at one point. Yes. So that counts, right? Sure. She was in a, (laughs) she was in a trap and then she was in a little jail sort of a cage. So any other uh, favorite moments? Um, I did. I st- even though I believe this was in the season trailer, I still love where that whole line where Boimler's saying, you know, we've still got something we can use. And he points to his head and Rutherford says our skin. <laughs> and then Boimler says our brains. And he says our brains are inside of our skins. And that made me laugh again, even though I'd heard it already. I, again, turn to the Tendi arc. I like when she's talking to the doctor and she says, uh, maybe the old Tendi is a pushover, but a lot's changed since earlier today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that made me laugh really hard, too. I like that part. And then when she's got all her confidence at the end and she goes, give me 20 cc's of space. Yep. <laughs> I also like that the Paul F. Tompkins character had fuzzy dice in his spaceship. A- any other favorite Easter eggs? Uh, we got Anbo Jitsu. Uh, there was a Kazinti hanging out in the ship's bar. Uh, any other little fun nods you noticed? No. I mean, nothing that, that popped for me. But again, I just wasn't enjoying it as much. So maybe that's why. I mean, I think I liked it more than you, but um, not a lot. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to episode five. I did notice. Two. I'll give it credit for this. I thought the closing shot was like very beautiful and looked like it almost was live action. Well, there you go. So that's it for episode four. Onward and upwards to episode five next week. Should we talk about our bits of the week? Yes, I think we should. What have you got? Mine is one of those things of like, it's always amazing that you learn something new about these old movies right and so um kirk thatcher who everyone knows is the punk on the bus in star trek 4 but he worked on the movie um and uh one of his jobs actually was developing spock's test on vulcan you remember when he had the three screens and he was answering questions yeah um and so someone asked him on twitter because one of the one of the questions um Uh, was what was the big event that was supposed to happen in 1987. And he revealed it was the invention of transparent aluminum. You know, that seems not a big deal, but this is another indication that the movie itself is a predestination paradox, right? Because Scotty gave that guy 
transparent aluminum. And the next year that guy invented transparent aluminum, but he always did that. Right. right? So, um, cause Kirk also indicated this because he, he sold the glasses and he said, you know, that he's going to get the glasses back. Um, so that was also a predestination paradox. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's just a fun little new fact about Star Trek four after all these years. That's a fun one. I did go see it in a theater when it was playing. Um, and I took my 17 year old who had never seen it before and loved it. So that was really nice. That's great. Yeah. I was, and he even leaned over to me when he saw Madge Sinclair and said, 1986 black female captain. That's awesome. I was like, yeah, man. So, but he loved it. He laughed at all the funny parts. He enjoyed the story. He thought it was super cool that it was such a compelling movie, but didn't have a villain. All right. So mine is about our, do you call it our sister podcast? Our sibling podcast, um, the shuttle pod, which just celebrated its 100th episode. Um, and so they're running a contest. The contest is up until September 12th and it's just a prize pack. You'll get like a Trek movie t-shirt and a bunch of other sort of assorted Star Trek things, some tribbles. It's not super defined, um, which is fine because it's a nice surprise, but they basically on the page, will put up a link to it where the post is. They put up a lot of backgrounds, a lot of images you can take. They just want someone to have some Photoshop fun and create some kind of hilarious Star Trek tableau. You can use the things they've put up, but you don't have to. Um, we've had a couple of entries so far that look really fun. Um, and the podcast itself is also well worth listening to. It's a great recap of Vegas. And you don't need to be good or even have Photoshop. You could, you know, the whole point of this is just to have some fun and just glue pictures together using whatever image editor you've got and post them on instagram or twitter or imger or wherever you can so yeah and then share them so they put up a whole bunch of like the ghost candle and Riker and his hilarious sexy outfit from angel one and all these things and then i added of course my little friend <laughs> my talking Riker action figure that has his own twitter thread which i should probably put up a link to as well as he had many adventures but you can use him and they've had a couple of great entries so anyway you should either do your own or just go look at what's there, but it's, it's a lot of fun. So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back on September 10th to talk about Star Trek Day and all the big news coming out of that, because if it's Friday, it's All Access Star Trek. See you later. <laughs>